Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. I am Trevor Sycamore. With me is Benjamin Solak. We are here at pick number 26 of the guest mock draft series, which is the third pick for the Miami Dolphins in this draft. Ben, I was a little surprised with the Justin Jefferson pick. I'm not going to lie. I think quarterback, they went Tua there up number five, but then number 18, Justin Jefferson. Before we recap what happened there, I just kind of wanted to talk to you about that. I was caught off guard by the Justin Jefferson pick, and so I think that that makes this one at 26. I don't really know what's going to happen here. Yeah, the luxury with having three firsts and two seconds is that you can chase value if it's there. And while the Dolphins may not have a huge you know, wide receiver, Safed clearly thought the value was there with Justin Jefferson. Of yeah. course, now his compatriots picking for the Dolphins have to deal with his decisions. So he don't live with the consequences. <laughs> but Jefferson's a good ball player. Yeah, no, I'm excited uh, to get to, to what could be with this number 26 pick. Uh, before we get to it, let me recap the board for everybody as quickly as I can. Joe Burrow went number one, Chase Young number two. Jeff Akuda three, Jedrick Wills, four. Tua Tungo-Vailoa, like we said before, went number five to Miami. Justin Herbert, six. Javon Kinlaw, seven. Isaiah Simmons, eight. Derek Brown, nine. Tristan Wirfs, ten. Andrew Thomas, 11. CeeDee Lamb, 12. Jerry Judy, 13. Makai Becton, 14. Kenneth Murray, 15. CJ Henderson, 16. Henry Ruggs, 17. Justin Jefferson, as we said before, went 18. Trayvon Diggs, 19. Caleb on chase on 20 Jalen Rager 21 Christian Fulton 22 Patrick Queen 23 Jordan Love 24 last podcast Minnesota Vikings went Josh Jones at 25 and that brings us to number 26 and to help us with this pick number 26 we have Cameron Wolf who covers the Miami Dolphins for ESPN he's a good friend of ours Cameron we really appreciate you joining us and capping off this Dolphins draft class no problem, guys. How's everybody doing? No, we're doing we're doing good, man. We're chugging along on the end of this guest mock, which means we're getting closer and closer to draft weekend, which, man, I'm just excited to get there. There's been so much talk, and I know you can relate to that because it seems like for the longest time, Dolphins fans have just turned their full attention towards the draft. It feels like Dolphins fans have been talking about the NFL draft since September or October and so I know <laughs> yeah. that they're ready to get to that point I'm sure you are as well but just take the clock back for me a little bit let's go to the beginning of this year because I said to it there and we kind of joke and we have a laugh that it was kind of looking downhill for the Dolphins early the season obviously does not start out hot but what was it like covering this team and going through that where boy just the situation looked bleak and we weren't sure where the Dolphins were going to be and then they end up having a pretty decent record all things considered by the end of it yeah it was definitely the most unique season i've had covering the nfl um for multiple reasons one i've I've never covered a team that we knew was going to be bad that bad going into the year and i think that element created a lot of um sort of uncertainty around the locker room and that was only um expedited you know when they traded laramie tunsil and then they traded kenny stills and make up Fitzpatrick. Um, you know, right before the start of the season or a couple weeks into the season. And I think players are really taken aback. And I remember being in the locker room at one point um, during week three after they just got blown out by the New England Patriots and Baltimore Ravens. I think it was like 100 to like 10 those first two weeks. And everybody was talking about how they're embarrassment, they're ashamed of football. And I was talking to one of the dudes in the locker room, and he was asking me who, 
who the dude was who just walked into the locker room and it was just their new cornerback. And he didn't know what was going on. He didn't know, <laughs> you know, what the future was. You know, it was just a lot of like, it was just a lot of sadness. You know, you walk in the locker room, it was just like, you felt it was heavy. Um, and I was like, man, this is, this is something I've never experienced in September of an NFL season. So that was, um, that was very eye opening. And, you know, I got to give Brian Flores credit because I had some worries at that point if he was going to lose the locker room, you know, especially given how everything happened when the Minka trade happened. There was really some worry on my end where, hey, you know, this could get really ugly before it gets pretty. Um, But he was able to right the ship. And I think, you know, once they made the decision um, to go back to Ryan Fitzpatrick in that Washington game after they had benched him for Josh Rosen, I think he really gained a lot of respect in that locker room because guys realized that, hey, He's trying to win. He's not trying to tank. So trying to win and not trying to tank. And Miami was able to do that at the end of last season. They ended on a little bit of a run, got themselves here to the fifth overall pick. Obviously, that big game against Cincinnati uh, helping getting them to this spot. I've asked this to the other Miami guys that we've had on the podcast. I want to make sure I grab your opinion on it. When a team starts the season poorly, like the Dolphins did, but then ends up on a bit of a hot streak, typically it's because young players got better and were playing well in December relative to what they were doing in September. And the public can miss out on that because we stop paying attention to those teams a little bit when we get to playoff time. So the young players who have improved, the role players who had a significant job for the Dolphins, who are those underappreciated guys on this roster who will start to realize how well they were playing as the Dolphins get better in 2020? Yeah, I think the first guy that comes to mind is Eric Rowe um, because he's a guy who Mm -hmm. played for the Eagles, played for the Patriots, a guy that was probably misfit on both of those teams. And they they really transitioned his role from cornerback to safety. He signed here and we thought he was going to be the number two cornerback outside of Xavier Howard. And they transitioned him into a more of a strong safety tight end stopper kind of role. Um, and, and it really worked out effectively for him. He ended up getting a contract extension out of it. Um, and I think that really helped them, you know, defensively having a guy who's a leader and really locked down. I help, it helped some other players like, you know, Nick Needham, an undrafted free agent, start to get into his own and, and, and really establish himself as a starter. He may not start this year, but I think they found a player that could be a number three, number four cornerback for them. Um, and right. then just on the other side of the ball before he got hurt, you know, Preston Williams really showed a lot. Um, that that was really impressing folks going forward. So I think for, for me, those are a few names that you're going to see in 2020 um, that, that really pop out from the Dolphins' perspective. And it all started from, you know, 2019 and the work they were put, putting in then. Where did it all go wrong with Minka Fitzpatrick? Because, I mean, was it just – was it the role that they were trying to peg him in? Was it – relationships yep. with the coaching staff i mean maybe okay. maybe it was a little bit of a, a lot of different things but it's just so hard to believe that a guy who is so highly regarded as Minka fitzpatrick when he was coming out yeah. of the draft you have such high hopes for him and then all of a sudden boom he's gone how did it go downhill so quick yeah i think it was a it really started honestly at the start of the off season when adam gase was fired and I think going back to that picture, you got to remember that the Dolphins drafted Minka Fitzpatrick under the Adam Gase era, even though Chris Greer made the pick. And obviously his versatility was a large reason why he got got um, drafted as high as he did. Um, but he played a lot of outside cornerback. He played some safety. He played some slot cornerback. He played a lot of roles this rookie year. And he asked the coaching staff, you know, towards the end of the year, um, if they would give him a set roles, you know, going into the next year so that he could figure out exactly what weight he would come back in and how he could train. 
Um, and they never really gave him an answer. And then obviously Adam Gates got fired and they hired Brian Flores. And Brian Flores wanted them to be even more versatile. And I think Mika had his mindset on, hey, I just want to be one or two roles. You know, I, I felt like I was pushed too far. And they just never saw eye to eye on that. I think Minka really felt like he wanted to play a free safety role, maybe a little bit of slot corner. And Brian Flores viewed him as sort of his, you know, star position player where he could play linebacker, where he could play, you know, strong safety. And I think that Minka, as his play started to dip, got really frustrated and blamed his play dip on the fact that he was being used in a lot of different positions. And I, rem- I remember in one August practice, um, he had a really bad practice, and his, his mom got in a dispute with the writer on, on social media, on Twitter. And essentially she, she said that um, the coaches are misusing him. They're using him as a strong safety, even though he's 195 pounds, and that's, you know, he's just trying to fill out of holes from players that are there. And we asked him about it after practice. And he didn't, you know, he, he could have went, you know, the route and said, hey, she, she, should, she shouldn't have said that. And instead he said, she's not wrong, you know, uh, but I guess I, guess I got to do what the coaches want to do. And from there, that was kind of a wake-up call for me, yeah. like, hey, this something isn't right here. And, you know, I didn't know that he was going to get shipped away a few weeks later, but that was kind of a sign that, hey, something is not clicking the right way. And I think that week two game after, he, you know, he asked for a trade was just him exploding with everything he had been dealing with that offseason. So, you know, maybe Minka could have been more flexible. Maybe Brian Flores could have been more amenable to put him in a role. Either way, both sides dug their feet in the sand and uh, it didn't work out. Cameron, I'm interested to hear where you fall on, and we take it all the way back to pick five for Miami, and obviously everybody expects it to be quarterback, but there's a division on who that quarterback might be. Uh, we know that yeah. uh, Justin Herbert has been in the vision uh, for, for NFL decision makers, including Chris Greer, for quite some time. He's you know been this long-term dude who could have come out last year, and he's gotten better, and he has the tools, and obviously Tua with the injury. Everybody knows the context around these guys, but it seems different people you talk to think that there's different smoke for different players so if you had to guess who do the the Dolphins prefer let's say they're staying at five who would they take if both were available are they fine taking both is a trade-up in the cards what do you think their plan is at quarterback no it's interesting I actually wrote a story about Justin Herbert today and kind of talked about a lot of the the you know the issues with Herbert versus Tua um, I don't know for sure who they're going to take I wish they I wish I did um, you know I, I don't you know I could give you sort of my thoughts on where we are and I, I think from where we are is, 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 is how the Dolphins feel about Tua's injury concerns. And that's what mm-hmm. I can't say for sure. Um, the uncertainty around how the coronavirus has impacted their ability to get a true evaluation on him. Um, they didn't get to bring him into their facility like they wanted to. They didn't get to get their own doctors to put a physical on him. Um, so essentially, I think the, the decision is more going to be about Tua than it is about Herbert. It's going to be, I think, if Tua, they feel comfortable about Tua's injury history and his durability, and they want to take a shot on him, that he's their guy. But if they don't, I think that's when a guy like Herbert comes in. So I think that we'll learn how they thought about Tua's injury based on the decision they make. I do think the Herbert, you know, some of the Herbert smoke is real to an extent. Um, mm-hmm. Whether they take him over Tua or not is what I don't know, but I do know that they like him. They've been studying him for two years now. Um, and they like the fact that he's big and, and, and mobile, and they feel like they can you know, shape some of the issues in his game, um, and they like the fact that they think he's competitive. Um, so there's a lot of things that they like about him, 
the one thing that I am hesitant about to really put him and make him a Dolphin quite yet is that he doesn't seem to have the it factor that they desire so much. And, you know, leadership mm-hmm. is one of their top qualities they talk about. And obviously that's something in the pre-draft process we've heard a lot about with Justin Herbert. And I haven't, you know, been able to delve into it, so I don't want to speak on what type of leader he is. But usually, you know, when certain things are said, there's a reason why they're said. So I think those two issues would be something they would have to, you know, feel comfortable about if they're going to make him their franchise quarterback. They can't settle for this player. So, you know, if it was my my decision, I think I'm taking a shot on Tua. Um, but it's not my job that I'm risking. So, um, you know, they'll have to make it based on how comfortable they're, they feel on that. Right, right. And I, you talked about that that it factor there. I don't think there's really any prospect in this class that, that has an it factor like Joe Burrow. So my question to you just quickly as a response to hearing that, do you think Miami has picked up the phone and offered Cincinnati something for number one? I, I think they – they would consider it um, and they might do it if they thought there was a legitimate chance that since he would trade that pick, I don't think since he's trading that pick, I do know the dolphins like Joe Burrow. Um, I believe he's their number one quarterback on the board. Um, but they, they got all those picks for a reason. Right. And uh, as mm-hmm. we'll, we'll talk about later in this, in this pod, I'm sure, you know, they have a lot of needs and, you know, if, if it was just quarterback, if they were a quarterback away, then you say, Hey, yeah, I'll give you all my first round picks. And a first round next year, with what do you need? Four first round picks to yeah. make it happen. Maybe you can make a move like that. But I think that where the Dolphins are, they can't afford to mortgage everything um, and leave themselves essentially barren because, um, you know, then, then Joe Burrow's going to have nothing to play around. So I, I think that even if the, the, the Bengals were willing to listen, it, it's probably going to end up being too expensive uh, for the Dolphins to get it done. Well, then let's talk about some of those team needs there. If you take quarterback and put it aside, and let's put aside the the Justin Jefferson pick at number 18 as well. When you look at this team going into draft weekend, what would you rank the top needs for this team to be? Offensive line, offensive line, offensive line. <laughs> okay, that um, makes it easy. <laughs> I, I, think, I think those are those are one, two, and three. Uh, no, kidding aside, I think – you probably look at um, beyond offensive line. You, they're probably going to get a running back, I believe, in the top three rounds of this draft. Um, they're going to need a running back in the future. They signed Jordan Howard, but they're going to need somebody uh, long-term uh, to be that guy. I think they're going to end up drafting a safety pretty high. Um, I think they would love to move Bobby McCain back down the slot corner and have a true free safety back there, um, something like Minka might have been, uh, but, but kind of fill that role. And then I, I think outside of that, you know, they could use some more help in that front seven, whether it's, you know, more of a 3-4 defensive end or edge rusher. Um, they're more of a multiple scheme. So they've got a lot of guys that can play in a 4-3, but they don't have a lot of true 3-4 uh, guys. So I think that they're going to um, aim for a few of those guys in this draft as well. When you look at then them potentially selecting offensive linemen here at 26, obviously tackle being a, a, an issue that they've – uh, clearly on the roster, especially since the Laramie Tunsil trade. But do you think with the large number of needs they've got on the offensive line, offensive line, offensive line, like you said, they could be looking to add players with guard tackle versatility. I know we talk about players like Lucas Nyang potentially kicking to the inside and playing guard. Do you think they're going to, when they drafted Michael Dieter out of Wisconsin, it was very much that sort of a pick. Yeah. They knew they could put him at a lot of different yeah. spots. Do you think they're still prioritizing versatility or is this the year where they go, we got our sights set on bookends and we need tackles? 
No, I think versatility is always going to be king for them. I, I think that, okay. you know, you just look at the way they built this team. They they like guys who can do multiple things. That's probably why Minka ended up getting out of here. They don't want one position guys. So I think even if it's, you know, guys that can play both left and right tackles or, or guys that can swing out from guard to tackle, you know, guys who can play center and guard, even if they stay in one role, I think versatility is going to be, you know, king. Um, even looking at their current offensive line, Jesse Davis is their current right tackle, and he's been a career guard, and they like the fact that he can play both. Um, so I, I just think that that's something that this regime, and particularly Brian Flores, loves. He loves the flexibility of if a guy gets injured, we can slide another guy over and, and don't lose much um, from that perspective. Well, hearing your answer to the last two questions, I have a feeling of where you might be going here with this number 26 overall pick, but putting you on the clock here, who's it going to be? Yeah, I'm going to go with Isaiah Wilson, um, offensive tackle okay. from Georgia. Nice. I'm going to get a big right tackle for uh, my guy, uh, Tua Tunga Vailoa. Um, if we ended up getting Tua, that's his blind side. Uh, I think I considered Austin Jackson as USC offensive tackle, who's more of a project left tackle. But I think Isaiah Wilson will allow the Dolphins to be able to protect Tua and get a really strong running game going, which I know is a priority for him. So that's my guy at 26. That was a good, that was a good point there. If Tua is the pick being a lefty, right side of the line, just blind side. Right, yep. what, do you, what do you think about that pick there, Ben? Yeah, I mean, well, when Brian Flores was in uh, New England was the year that they had Trent Brown up there, and they saw what they were able to do with a body of that size. It's it's offensive tackle scouting is is deep and is tough, but sometimes the big guys are the ones that are hard to get around, and it's about that simple. You know, Isaiah Wilson's got work he needs to get done, but when you're long and huge, it takes a long time to get around you. And if you're gonna be executing a Chan Gailey horizontal spread sort of a game, then sometimes that's all you need. Even if he's not perfect in year one, he'll be able to be out there and start for you and be successful because he just has to last long enough for Tua to get rid of the ball. So offensive tackle, like I think Cameron said, a dire need. Wilson makes a lot of sense if you pair it with the Tua pick at five. Cameron, cap it off the Dolphins draft here at 26 with Isaiah Wilson. If you guys don't already, follow Cameron on Twitter, read his stuff, watch his stuff. He covers the Dolphins very, very well, and we appreciate him sharing some of his insight here on this podcast. Thanks, guys. Stay safe, and I'll talk to you soon. Pick number 27, the Seattle Seahawks. No trading back in this draft, which means we're going to force <laughs> our guests to make a pick. That in itself is going to be entertainment enough. You guys keep it locked right here on Lockdown NFL Draft.